Hey, everybody. Welcome to Take Off with John Clark. Please subscribe for free to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And let's welcome in a special guest, Jay Glazier, of course, of Fox Sports. He does such a great job. And Eagles fans always wait to hear what Jay is saying about the birds. And he's got a tremendous book out. Let's see that book, Jay. Unbreakable. And you've gone through a lot of things in your life and you're sharing it with your readers. We're going to get into that. We appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, and, and we're going to get into your relationship with Lane Johnson and how you helped each other uh, and how Lane is doing. Um, first, I just want to ask you about this, this NFL quarterback frenzy. It's been a wild week. Um, tell me about Russell Wilson going to Denver. Do you think the Eagles, like Washington, made them an offer out there in Seattle? Yeah, I think they were interested. I think Washington, I, there's a lot of teams that were interested. But Russell had this no trade clause and he only gave them two teams that he go to. So, you know, Broncos being one of them. So while people were, you know, kind of beating down their door for Russell, and there was a lot of teams that were trying to do that. He, it was up to him. It was a different situation. Um, even last year too. And, you know, when they gave him four teams also, they kind of looked and explored that. And when they, you know, were getting close with one of those teams, Russell said no. So even after this deal got, it was interesting. Because the deal kind of gets done. And then the news breaks, but Russell hadn't, like, met them and said okay yet. So he still could have backed out. And both teams were nervous that he was going to back out after that. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You know, it's really interesting, Jay. You see with the quarterbacks now, kind of Tom Brady leaving New England and going to Tampa Bay. It's almost a little like NBA superstars who kind of, can dictate sometimes where they're going. Um, do you see NFL quarterbacks looking at what Tom Brady did and other guys are doing, kind of not forcing their way out, but say, I want a better situation, and they're more vocal about it now with their teams? Here's the thing. Tom didn't force himself out, right? New England decided not to, t- not to keep Tom Brady, uh, which is a mistake, a big mistake. And when he finally, when he went down to Tampa, I think a lot of teams were kicking themselves that they didn't really go after Tom. When he went to Tampa, there were other quarterbacks who looked at it and thought, oh, my God, I want that kind of – I want that say. And I think Russell Wilson's one of them. I think Aaron Rodgers. I want that kind of say that Tom has. And and Tom really wasn't the assistant GM down there, despite there was being said. Tom just wanted to be heard. He wasn't – he felt he wasn't heard in New England. He just wanted to be heard. So when he came in there, originally he asked for Antonio Brown. They're like, no. He asked, hey, what about Brock? Would you be interested? They're like, yeah, you think he'll come back out? But so he just felt heard there. Well, other quarterbacks, I think, looked at it the way you're saying is, oh, Tom forced his way out, and Tom got this and this and this, and he became the assistant GM, and they wanted that same luxury. But that's not really what Tom's mindset was at all. He never looked at it that way. I guess the dominoes have fallen once Aaron Rodgers stayed in Green Bay. Denver has their quarterback. And now Washington, desperate for a quarterback. And it looks like the Colts really were desperate to unload Carson Wentz. Are you surprised that Carson and Frank Wright, that that marriage 
couldn't work out. That's the one guy who stuck his neck out for Carson. Yeah, I was. I really was. I was surprised. And, you know, there were, you know, during the season, there was a lot of ups and downs there. There was one point he came back and played hurt that a lot of guys were like, okay, well, we see it. We see him, right? We see the toughness. But there were a lot of other things that, you know, really happened down the stretch where they just kind of thought was, was unsalvageable, unfixable. So I think other teams, you know, Washington is desperate. Look, when you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, life is miserable. You look like you can't coach. You look like you can't pick players. You look like your scouting department's awful. You look, I mean, everything, your tackles look terrible. When you do have a quarterback in this league, the tackles look like pro bowlers. The GM looks like he's all world. All your draft picks work out. You know, it's just totally different life. So, you know, they, you look at guys with the talent that Carson has and, you know, this is an ego-driven league. So a lot of guys have to look at like, I'll be the one to fix them. I can fix them. Okay, those guys couldn't. I could salvage them. And there's a lot more hope and optimism sometimes than reality. Yeah, it's just really stunning to me because I thought Carson would learn some lessons from Philly when he went out there with Frank Wright. But, you know, in Philly, there were times that he couldn't take the tough coaching and he wouldn't take what he was practicing and practice with the coaches into the games. And then, and then, you know, always trying to get the home run instead of maybe hitting the single and taking what's given to you. Are you surprised that Carson is dealing with those same things and hasn't learned those lessons? Yeah, then Carson got insecure there, which I was surprised about. And it got in his head. And the competition of Jalen just got in his head. And that's where things started to unravel. And was I surprised by that? Yeah. And do you think Washington now, with Carson, who's going to face the Eagles twice a year, I mean, do you think Washington has this guy for a year or two, or do you think he's going to be able to last there? I don't know, man. I deal in, I deal in facts. I have no idea, you know, what he's going to do or if he's going to be the Carson Wentz that two teams unloaded in two years. Or is he going to – look, we all – everybody makes the move because they're hoping he'd be the MVP Carson Wentz. Um, and we've seen guys come out after a couple of years of just kind of floating around and bouncing around all of a sudden, bam, they, they come back out of it. But I can't answer the question for you. Jay, obviously after this season, the Eagles – both Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni said Jalen Hurts is our quarterback for this year, and we have told him that. Then they doubled down at the Combine saying that. Are they, are they also behind the scenes trying to get better at the quarterback position? Not so much. They haven't been. Uh, it doesn't mean if somebody's out there that's a rock star. Look, you always got to look to upgrade your roster if you can. And they got three number ones, so they got a lot of ammunition. Whether it happens or not, for who – I don't know about that right now. And look, I know the locker room loves Jalen. <clears throat> so, you know, do they look at it and go, okay, Jalen's showing enough and let's just plug in around him with those three number ones? Uh, or do we look to try and package and pry somebody loose? And look, for a guy like, you know, Deshaun Watson, they still got to wait till that, that mur those murky waters clear up if they even have an interest or not. Do you think that Deshaun Watson? Uh, if yeah, no idea. I'm, I know I'm smart enough. Uh, not sm I'm smart enough to know I'm not smart enough to talk about anything legally. Like, I've been trying to keep up with it, but, man, I had a 2.4 GPA. I have no idea. When they start talking about legalities, I know what I don't know. And I don't know. I don't know anything about politics. Like, I'm not smart enough to talk politics, and I'm not smart enough to talk about the law. That I, that I know. Hey, that's why I'm doing a Philly sports podcast as well. Exactly here. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm here for escapism, man, not smart stuff. <laughs> Do you think, though, that Howie Roseman has had his eye on that Deshaun Watson situation? We've heard that. Well, he did, he, they did last year, yeah. 
Absolutely, they did last year. Um, you had to. Guy was leading pass from the NFL, and um, every team did their due diligence. Even even the teams that weren't so in it, um, if all of a sudden a guy like that was exonerated and could be had for, you know, not a lot, but man, I, I will, here's the thing though: they were offered uh, Houston three ones and three threes going into last year's draft and turned it down. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back, that's probably not a good decision. I wasn't a good decision. Yeah. Uh, how about the Eagles trying to surround Jalen Hurts with good talent on offense? You've yeah. got a couple of good receivers. Uh, were they looking to get another receiver to compliment Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins? It was actually funny because um, they were one of the teams. They were close to a deal with Calvin Ridley, for, with Atlanta for Calvin Ridley, and Atlanta backed out at the last second, and Philly was like, well, what's going on? And they couldn't really tell him. And so Philly was, wasn't too happy. And then after, looked at it like, all right, Atlanta, thank Like they did, Atlanta did business the right way. They, they weren't allowed to say anything. Again, the legalities of it. Couldn't say a word. Um, they just had to pull out. But man, if Philly could have gotten a talent like Calvin Ridley um, when he didn't have these issues, that would have been good for him. So again, they're aggressive. Howie is always really aggressive. That would have been big. Um, especially with a lot of Alabama guys, you know, and, and man, it, it would have been, that would have been a good one had he, look, had he not had the issues, but he did. So Atlanta just had to pull out and kind of couldn't tell him for a couple of weeks why. Wow. And that would have been really bad if Calvin Ridley was traded and the Falcons didn't know about it. And then this comes down. Uh, yeah, but that, that's the thing. They knew about it early enough. Um, yeah, it would have been interesting what happened because they knew about a few weeks ago when they were getting close and then just pulled out, but couldn't say anything. So kind of Philly was held in the dark on it for a couple weeks. They thought that they had a better deal. And uh, and Atlanta just had to keep quiet. And then after their, you know, again, Atlanta did business the right way. Uh, and so did Philly. Yeah. Uh, how about free agency starting? Uh, we're going to see some more wild stuff from the yeah. NFL. The Eagles, I think, have around $20 million once they've done some of the restructures in free agency, do you think they're going to be an aggressive free agency player? Yep. Yeah. That's just how they are. So yeah, absolutely. Who they're targeting now. I don't know, but yeah, they're, they're, they'll be aggressive. And how about, yeah, so they don't like to overpay also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do you think Howie Roseman's kind of said, I'm not long-term rebuilding or retooling. I'm, I'm looking at a couple years here. Um, do you think that they're looking for younger guys that they can get, and, and try to build? I think the Eagles are always in win-now mode. Yeah. Uh, Philly's not really a city where you can have the patience to rebuild, right? The, the fan base doesn't let them do that. They know that. So I, I think they're always in, in win-now mode. And three first-round draft picks. Howie is one of the most aggressive traders with picks. Do you think that he'll make all those picks in the first round? Oh, man. Um Probably not. He'll probably he'll probably pick up some more picks if he can. But that's what, that's what's good about Howie is he's always looking to do business either way, move up, move back, move down. Like he's they're always looking to do it. Um, so yeah, look, they're in such a different position where they can look at it and go, okay, let's package this for a stud over here. Let's send a one play. Even listen, even a first round pick has a lot of capital in this league when you go try and trade for somebody. You get a stud for a first round. 
much less two ones, much less three ones. So they have a lot of, they got a, they got a lot of ammunition, a lot of room they could, they could work with. Do you think with Jalen Hurts, he, he hopefully will get better. Nick Sirianni talked about his accuracy and his decision-making. He'd like to see improvement there. Do you think he can be the guy in Philly that could lead them back to a Super Bowl? Maybe not this year, I'm saying, but like, can he develop into one of those top quarterbacks? I don't know what his ceiling is, but like I said, the, the locker room's behind him. They see his work ethic. Locker room really likes him. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of areas, right, he needs to improve it. So one thing you know, again, he got this work ethic where he's going to work his butt off to try and improve in those areas. Whether or not he gets there or not, it remains to be seen. But also, if he can put better talent around him, that's also, you know, that that kind of dictates some of your growth. I'll tell you this book that you have uh, written and put out there, it's helping a lot of people. Let's see that there. Unbreakable. Um, Unbreakable. How I turn my depression and anxiety into motivation and you can too. Um, And it's, yeah, it's something that I've wrestled with my entire life. It's my earliest childhood memory. So I don't know what it's like not to wake up every day um, in what I call the gray thinking that sky is falling. Um, you mentioned before Lane, Lane Johnson, I call it the same thing, we call it the beast. And trying to keep this beast in the box. Mine's depression and anxiety and ADD. Like I had to do everything. I had to go big. And but it's a daily battle. It's every day of my life. And um, man, I don't, in, in my, like, look, I know my life is great. Like I'm here doing this interview with you. Like I, like, I know my life on the outside is great. People go, what do you, what do you have to be sad or depressed about? I get it. My life is great. But between my ears sucks. And I don't know how to, I don't know who I'm waking up with every day. And because I don't know how to, I don't feel worthy of being loved from the inside out, it actually motivated me to do all these great things. Be on Fox NFL Sunday and Ballers and Mixed Martial Arts and Unbreakable and have a charity. Because that, I, would have, I was always seeking love from the outside in to try to build myself up and hope they meet in the middle. And you know, because I, I kind of am in these two doodly worlds, if you will, of of mixed martial arts and football, I felt like I could have a voice. Like no one's gonna question my manhood. So I could speak up about it without anybody, the worry of anybody going, oh, suck it up, or you're a wuss, or it's, for me, it's not a weakness. I, I'm really proud of my physical scars from fighting. But I am, I've had a lot, man. I've herniated C2, 3, 4, 5, and ruptured L1, L2 twice, and L4, L5, four times, and I tore my labrum here, and my shoulder, and two rotator cuff tears, and dislocated my elbow and broke my ankle twice. And I'm always proud of those. It's time we all start being proud of our mental scars. Like we've been through a lot, we've overcome a lot. So I wanna start, you know, really using our mental scars. And, and this isn't just, this book isn't just for people with clinical depression like me. This is for all of us, whether you're in the gray, I'm sure you know some of these in the gray. And we talk about mental health. I want them to be the first book, if you will, to describe it, to give people words for what they're going through. So we can start talking about this. And even if you're not on this level, we just went through a pandemic. We were told to isolate. That messes with between your ears. Um, And social media messes with us, getting us to think our lives, you know, we're comparing ourselves to everybody else's filtered fraction of a second. On Instagram or Facebook, we think our lives suck when they don't, or we're seeing all this hate on Twitter. So man, I want there to be this voice and, and, not only a voice for mental health, but in here, give people solutions, a game plan, a roadmap through this depression, anxiety, as one big badass team together, because that's what we all got to do. We got to bond together 
and fight back. I, I was tired of this thing whipping my butt all these years. And I'm a fighter. I want to fight back. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Has there been improvement with what you deal with by letting it out and talking to a lot more people about what you've been going through? So what's helped me, because my, my, my gray, again, it gets me in a, oh man, like sometimes it's hard for me to get, well, it's hard for me to get out of bed every day. Always has been. And I never let anybody know that. And, but once I get myself out of bed, then I decide I'm going to go be relentless, right? And, and go after my career, my dreams relentlessly. But now when I'm struggling to get out of bed, call one of my friends or teammates going, dude, the beast just got me. But this is how messed up this, and I don't, I don't call it mental illness. Some of us do, or disease or whatever. Um, you know, I, I just, I call it issues, I guess. <laughs> but this is what this does to you is my best friend has been Michael Strahan since 1993. We tell each other everything. And it wasn't until two months ago that I first told him, I can't go out tonight, man. The beast just got out of the box. And he's like, what? I said, yeah, dude, this, this thing just got me, man. I just can't get out. Can't, freaking got to go to back. Can't get out of bed. And he said, well, you, you, want, you want to talk about it? I said, no. You want me to come over? I said, no, nah, just I'm going to go kind of, Strike this day up to a learning experience. I don't say an L ever. Um, it's not a loss. I'm going to brush myself up, pick myself up, and go walk this walk again the next day. And that night, he said, why have you never told me about this? And I said, I don't make the rules up of depression and anxiety. It makes up its own rules. Right? I just got to fight back. But think about that reaction. If I had told him 30 years ago, I would have had somebody walk this walk with me for 30 years that I could have told. And once I do tell someone, I don't feel as alone. I don't feel as isolated. That's where it's really helped. And, and it's fascinating to me that Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks were both going through something, anxiety. And I don't know if he had the level of depression you did, but it's amazing to me because they would describe the stress and the anxiety that was coming on game days of having to block and make sure that your quarterback doesn't get hit. And they would say that they would both throw up yeah. together Blood. in separate rooms. Blood. And yeah. Yeah, it gets so my depression, anxiety, and theirs causes a visceral physical response from me. I feel it in my heart, like I'm having a heart attack. I feel it on the left side of my gut. And I feel it in my joints, like I just got out of a 50 round fight. Like it, man, it sucks. But here's the, again, here's the crazy part about this. About mental health. Lane Johnson lived with me and my son for four or five months when we trained him in his, after his second year in the NFL. I trained him in mixed martial arts for those four or five months. 
And I'm, I'm proud of what we did, man. He went out and, man, he fought through all these injuries. Lane is a gangster. And he saw my struggles firsthand. I, I don't hide it, per se. Now I talk about it, but I never hit it. And, and my friends always used to say, oh, Glazer's crazy, which is a badge of honor in football and fighting. But they just didn't know how much pain I was in. But Lane saw it firsthand, yet still never talked to me about his until he fell off the reservation this year. And I'm like, dude, this is, but this is the same thing. Like, I didn't tell Strahan. So I'm like, hey, Lane, from now on, man, you can't go dark on us. When this is happening, you got to reach out to your teammates, me being one of them, a therapist being another. This friend, Gabe Rangel, Lizard, being another. You got to reach out to us and have a team to walk this walk together with. And that's like, look, I give a game plan in the books. One of them is having a team. I got 10 teams I could talk to. And your team could be us. It could be, like for me, Fox and NFL Sunday, my fight team. God's a team for me. My rescue pit's a team for me. You know, there's different teams. Another one is being of service. And by writing this book, I'm able to be of service by giving people these words and creating this big team together. Um, and that, that for me has been the coolest part is I've had 80-year-old grandmothers reach out saying, for the first time in my life, I have words to tell my husband the kids and grandkids what I've gone through. And like, thank you for giving me the words. And girl dad saying, I don't think I have it, but my daughter does. And now I have a way to relate to her. Um, families are getting it together. People are reading it and passing it on to other people they think needs the help. And, and by the way, when you read the book, it's not doom and gloom. You laugh your butt off in it. And that's the third pillar for me is laughter. When I have an anxiety attack, and you, when you watch me on Fox Animal Sunday, and I have one every single Sunday, and no one knew this until I did this book, and I force a funny or a joke out early, that's to get myself out of an anxiety attack. If I say something to Kurt or Terry real quick till I get a laugh, the gray hates laughter, and that gets me out of an anxiety attack fast. But I'm actually having anxiety and panic attacks on the air every single week I've ever been on camera from 2005 on. And, and it's weird because I'm not afraid to be on camera. I love it. I love chaos. I'm great in case. I'm great on camera. I suck in the rest of the world. So I don't know what happened, but it became habitual. And I, I had to figure out ways to get through it. And laughter for me was a big way. So you'll laugh a lot in this book. That's great. Have you also heard from other people in the NFL about saying like, you know what, I, I, I now feel like maybe I could be more open about it or that they didn't know what they were going through. Yeah. And you know what, that's what, that was the best part of the lane interview is all these people reach out like you too. Like, yeah. Um, and look, I, in the book, the way I describe it was a conversation I had with Sean McVay, me and Andrew Whitworth sat Sean McVay down last year. We were all in Cabo on that Matthew Stafford trip. Like it really was a coincidence. Stafford happened to check into our hotel. It was not, set up or premeditated. It was just a coincidence. The real story is I broke up with my girlfriend. Whitworth got me a room so I wouldn't isolate and have a pity party. McVeigh was supposed to leave. And when I went down there, he's like, well, I'll stay. And he stayed and we all hung out. And the next day Stafford happened to check in and the connection was Whitworth. And that's really how those two dudes fell in love. And they ended up working the trade right there. And no folks, it wasn't tampering. Detroit already said that they'd be willing to trade him. Um, but Whitworth and I was trying to explain to Sean, you know, this is like, if you can understand depression, anxiety, and the gray, think how much better of a coach you'll be. 
And, he, and Whitworth is trying to tell him, and he looked at Andrew Whitworth, right? Walter Payton, man of the year. And he's like, you too? And Whitworth's like, of course me too. What do you think gets me at 40 years old to put a helmet on and go freaking smash Aaron Donald every day or try to? Or when you have these self-worth issues that Andrew and I have, and I'm, he's fine talking about this because it's in the book, that does get us to go out and do such big, great things. That's what I was talking about, trying to get this love from the outside in. Andrew Whitworth's gray in his darkness gets him to go out and do all this charitable work to tell those voices in our head we're not as bad as they tell us we are. That's amazing. I, I, I'll, uh, I'll open up to you just for a second. I, I, I grew up with ADD and ADHD, um, and I almost flunked out of high school because I just couldn't sit still in, in class. And so you know, my family, they judged everything by grades and your level of success and where you were going. So I felt like a failure. Now I did find something that I love and that's being a sports broadcaster here in Philadelphia. But I do understand what you're talking about where when you're young and you don't get the success that everybody else deemed as the success that you should have, you're constantly trying to find that success and when you don't have it, you don't necessarily value yourself as a person. And that's a dangerous road to go down. Yeah. Hey, man, that's pretty damn cool and vulnerable and courageous. You say that right here. Like, again, we wouldn't have this conversation five years ago. And it's probably, I hope it feels good that you can say this and be proud of it. Like, this is what you overcame. And that's the whole, the book is unbreakable because it didn't break you. Right. And man, you went through that tunnel and came through the other side. And that's what, for me, when I walk in a room, I'm like, I went through all these things and it could not break me. So I'm not like everybody else in this room. And I'm not like, and I don't look at it like, I'm not like everybody in here because of my successes. I look at it like I'm not like everybody else in here because of my scars. My scars are what make me powerful. My vulnerabilities were true strength is, not my successes. And the most successful people in the world don't see their successes. We all got scars, so it's about time we start to use them. And, and by the way, the, your ADD, I was one of the first, in 1989, I was one of the first adult adults, um, I, I guess recorded with, um, or diagnosed with adult ADD at Princeton University. And they put me on Ritalin back then, which really screwed my brain up. Um, but it was, it, it was only because I had gotten kicked out of my first college that I went and got checked out for that after a semester and a half, and that college was Westchester University of Pennsylvania. Wow. No one knows that. No one knows I went there and got kicked out before the second semester. It's just, I couldn't pay attention. I couldn't grasp it. Obviously, I'm not a dumb guy, but yeah, my ADD, I, I, mean, I, I man, I, I just, I can't sit there and, and comprehend things in a normal way that people teach. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Let me ask you this. For you to be able to concentrate uh, on reading something, do you have to have music playing to drown out all the other little noises? Because I, I need music playing constantly yeah, to no, be able to concentrate on something. I can't, I actually can't tackle anything to this day that I'm not really bought and interested in. And now with all the things I have going on, it's even harder for me when I am interested. Right, you're right, you hear every voice in the room, right? You're, you're constantly bouncing around. And I was on medication for a long time. and. Um, the medication kind of had me do these peaks and valleys. And look, I'm an open book. I've, I've been on over 30 antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds to try to help me get through this. And, and none of them have, have 
it's not that I haven't worked. I metabolize so fast. I may work for a day or so. My body, they don't work after. And I'll never stop trying. Like if the next, next thing that comes out, they say, this is going to work. I'll try it. And so what I'm trying to do for everybody out there is give them these other tools, whether meds work for you or not. If they work for you, then great. You have meds plus, you know, the game plan in here. If they don't, at least we're still giving you an out. But I'll never stop trying to find something that can get the roommates in my head to talk nicer to each other and start telling myself, maybe I'm not so bad. Yeah. And, and you know what? Um, I think you and I found good careers for our personalities because I, I couldn't sit behind a desk all day. It's the, it's the juice of new information, uh, trying to track something down. And, and there's a surprise all the time, which is good for people with ADD. Well, and for me, I was the first minute by minute breaking news guy in this country. It was me versus Len Pasquarelli when that whole internet thing came out, which I think is going to catch on. This was, uh, <laughs> this was 1999 for CBS and he was at ESPN.com. And then it was like, but we were the first ones. And so, man, like Schefter wasn't around back then. Rappaport was probably in second grade. Uh, all these guys, you know, were, were, it was us. And that's, you're right, my ADD led me to be really successful in it. But as, as it started kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and, and then it became like, if I had a scoop back in the day, it lasted all day. Now yeah. you get a scoop, it lasts you for 12 seconds, and then everybody else takes it and steals it. Um, so years ago, I decided, man, I, it's just, that's not what I want my career to be. I want to still be the most inside guy. So when you turn on Fox and Evil Sunday, you're going to wait to hear what I say because I'm not putting out all this stuff during the week. Now it's like, okay, this guy has more insight. Um, and I probably put out 1% of what I know. And, and I want to make sure our fans who watch our show that they're going to tune in. They're going to go, A, if I'm telling you someone's playing or not, it's dead on. Um, and even if it's much later in the day, and, and B, an inside you know, take or angle information that nobody has and that just lasts. Yeah, well, we always learn a lot from you by watching it. You want to hear a quick ADD joke? Go ahead. Is how, many people, <laughs> how many people with ADD does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? I don't know. You want to go skiing? <laughs> I like it, man. I like it. Yeah. Well, okay. listen, uh, we, we love watching you on Fox and uh, always with the scoopage. Uh, here in Philly, we're always watching it to find out who's playing. And you got a lot on the line when you're announcing who's not playing, who's playing with all the fantasy leagues and all the gambling. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Well, I was the one who originally reported that they were going to bench Carson and go to Jalen in the middle of that game. And there are people in that organization who were hitting me up like, what? Wait, what? You, we're doing what? And I'm like, yeah, I haven't told you that. That was that was a pretty cool one. That was a pretty wild one. And that's what happened. You know, later in the day, it was just, man, but it, it had gone on for a while. But that, that's the thing, like, I kind of like having these longer-term things where, like, okay, I'm working on this for three weeks, and I know when to drop it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate the little nugget you gave us about Calvin Ridley. Yep, there you go. And it's a shame. He would have looked great as an eagle. Yep. Calvin got uh -huh. some work to do on himself, man. And that's the thing, too, like, you know, with with his mental health issues, um, we got we got work to do on ourselves, not just in the bad times. I think right now we're too reactionary with mental health, right? And you look at let's say a quarterback. Once you know Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl this year, he's right back throwing right after that. You don't just stop and be like, oh, everything's great. Let me not work on pass anymore. Let me not work on a jab anymore. So I got to. So you're always working on yourself physically. I want to start working on yourself mentally. 
mental fitness, if you will, nonstop, even in the good times. So it prepares us better for the bad. Like a mental training camp. Absolutely. Nonstop. It's nonstop. Like the yeah. way you work out physically every day, we need to start working out mentally every day also and working on ourselves. Well, the book is unbreakable, and uh, I think this is going to help a lot of people. It already has, uh, and, and I can see your passion about trying to help people and, and sharing your story, so we really appreciate that. And I'll leave you with this, too. Um, I was doing a show recently, and I was telling the story. It's actually the Dr. Phil show. I was telling the story. When I was doing the interview with Lane, Again, I've had an anxiety attack every week of my life, at least once, from 2005 on. Every single week, bad. Like, my heart feels like I'm having a heart attack. Man, my eyes start going like this. I start sweating like crazy. And it's 2005, before we talked about anxiety attacks. So for 10 years, I was getting checked out my heart for a heart attack. I had no idea. Once we started talking about it, oh, that's what it is. Well, this is a, this is a part of our interview with Lane that I think didn't make the air. And the part was, I said, Lane, what, you know, is there any, you know, advice you have for, for people out there? And he said, journal. So I started journaling and it really started helping me. I started writing stuff down. It started helping. And I said, oh my God, I just realized it. And we, you know, the book was already done. I didn't have a single anxiety attack this past season. Now, wow. and, and I didn't realize it until he said that. I said, oh my God, it does journal. This was like, I journaled. The book was a journal for me. And Man, I haven't had one. And I never knew it until Lane said that. And that's the power of us opening up. That's the power of that vulnerability. Lane got me, gave me a tool that day, right? Because we were a different type of teammates. And man, I just want people out there to know it also. Learn from Lane. Journal, write it down. And let's just keep sharing and learn from each other. That's such a good thing for people to know. Thanks for sharing that, Jay. Yeah, brother. Appreciate it, man. And uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate the time. Thanks for the scoopage. And, and thanks for the book that uh, it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man.